So always appreciate the opportunities to come and be here with you guys. And hope maybe something today I share with you can stir you up and challenge you and encourage you. When you think of habits, what do we oftentimes think of? If I say the word habit, what do you think of? Bad habits. Bad habits. <laughs> yes. I, I, uh, I like to sleep in too late. I procrastinate. I eat too much. Uh, help me out here. There's a lot of bad habits that go on that list, right? Um, but are there some things that are good habits as well? Brushing your teeth is a marvelous habit. Um, I hope you're all in that, but that's good. I've been trying to encourage my kids to get in that habit right there. Yeah. Good habits. We all need them, don't we? And when it comes to spiritual disciplines, we need them as well. And uh, this morning, we're not going to talk about all the spiritual good habits you should have, because then you guys will never invite me back. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about just one of them this morning. And sometimes when we think of spiritual habits, we think of things like Bible study. We think of things like prayer. Those are essentials. Um, we have to have that connection with God. We need to be in the Word in some way, whether it's we're listening to the Word on our way to work every day, whether it be we pray in the car. Uh, sometimes uh, I spend a lot of windshield time, maybe you do too. I've had a lot of real good prayer times um, driving down the interstate. Uh, partially that's because I'm driving and other people are praying sometimes too. Um, but, uh, <laughs> sometimes I provoke a lot of people to prayer. But, uh, but also just developing those habits as being a part of your life. I'll talk about one today that, that maybe sometimes doesn't always just jump onto the top of that list of habits. But it's something that, that you almost have to systematically include in your life. And it's something that we as Christians are called to do, and that is service. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can, you can flip with me to Matthew, the 20th chapter. And this is, uh, this is coming right up again the, against the end of Jesus' life and ministry here. And Jesus is looking at, at what was so, uh, so well described for us today in our communion meditation, that moment in time where he would go and he would hang on the cross and pay the price for the things that you and I have done wrong. And to pay, pay that price to be the forgiveness, the propitiation, whatever word you want to use, for our sin. And this is a moment, like, what I like about this period of Jesus' life is Jesus is being very, very serious here because he knows he has just a little bit of time left. So he's really pouring himself into this. And if you notice in the first part of, of chapter 20, he talks about the laborers in the, in the vineyard. And we're not going to go through this entire text today because we don't have time for that. But in short, he, he describes a situation where there's a, several groups of, of laborers that are hired to go into the vineyard. Some of them are hired at 6 o'clock in the morning. Some of them are hired at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And after each and every set of these, these people are hired, the master simply says, I'll pay you what's fair. I'll pay you a day's wages. And so the guys that are at uh, 6 o'clock, the early risers, you know they're out there and they're picking grapes. And they pick grapes all through the heat of the day. And they pick grapes and at 5 or 6 o'clock at night when things shut down, they go and they receive their pay, which was one denarius, a day's wage. But then they... They stood around and waited to see what the people would do who would only work but a few hours, who would only work three hours, who had been picked up in the last shift of the day. And, and as he's watching those guys, they too received a denarius, the same exact amount of pay that the former group that had worked all day had earned. And, and you can imagine just human nature. They were, they were kind of frustrated by this. Now, wait a second. We, we worked all day and we just... We just made our day's wage, and they work just a few hours, and they get the same amount of wage, and, 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 and Jesus, this isn't fair, right? And Jesus, speaking in parable here, he goes back and he reminds them, he said, now, 
didn't I say to you this morning at 6 o'clock that I would pay you a day's wage? Didn't you agree that that was fair? Yeah. Well, then it's fair. Jesus' point here was, was really very simple in that in one way, we don't earn salvation, right? If you work all day, you receive salvation. Those who work just a few hours also receive the opportunity for salvation. But here in the middle of chapter 20 then, um, there's a mother that comes and makes a request of Jesus. And I want you to notice this with me. So we'll just pick up in chapter 20, verse 20, the book of Matthew. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up uh, to him with her sons. <clears throat> and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. So maybe this was a common thing. I, I don't know, but two of Jesus' disciples, uh, James and John's mom, comes and says, hey, I would like to ask you a question. I would like to ask you some favor. And she kneels down, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in the kingdom. That's no little respect. No little question, is it? I mean, some of us are like, okay, whatever, no right hand, left hand, right hand. But if you understood the biblical context of what they're going through at this moment, this is a really radical request. Because the apostles and their families at this point still believe, as most of the Jews did, that the Messiah was coming to establish this earthly kingdom. And, and so, and it was traditional in those times that the people who sat on the right hand and the left hand of the one who was the ruler or the monarch were the two highest and most trusted advisors and friends of the king. And so here this, this mama is coming up and she's saying, Now Jesus, I'd like to ask your permission for my two boys to be your right and left hand guys. I would like you to make my guys number one and number two in your kingdom. Now Jesus handles this beautifully. Because you know what? There's one beautiful thing that I love about moms. Almost all moms really believe in their kids, don't they? How many of you had a mom that believed in you? All right, you guys are nervous. You know, I don't want to raise my hand. If you had a mom that believed in you, you were blessed. And if you were a mom that believes in your kids here today, you are blessing them, all right? And I love one thing about this mama. She believes in her boys. She looked at all the rest of them, the apostles. She's like, ah, the rest of Peter and his big mouths and Thomas. He's always doubting. And Judas, I don't know what he's up to. But my boys, now there's some good, good, good choice. Now, Jesus answers her back gently and yet with a very powerful, uh, powerful response. And he said to them, or pardon me, verse 22, Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. And truthfully, she didn't. Sometimes, guys, when I pray, I don't know what I'm asking for. Because sometimes I say, God, I want you to work in this way. I want you to lead in this. I want you to take care of this. I want you to make this happen, Lord. And I thank God that sometimes he looks at Jason and he says, Jason, you don't know what you're asking. Because you are asking for something that will mess you up. You are asking for something that will cause you to miss a great blessing in life. You are asking for me to put aside the kingdom work for your personal preference. And God doesn't do that. And I, I praise God that he doesn't. Jesus said, you don't, you don't know what you're, what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink? And, and notice the enthusiasm of these guys and yet the ignorance of these guys, right? They have no idea of what this cup entails. We, we got a, just a kind of a, a, an introduction to that this morning, just the physical aspect of what it meant to be Jesus, all right? These guys have no idea what's in store for Jesus. So their answer is, well, yeah, yeah, we, we, we can do that. 
We're able, they said. In verse 23, he said to them, you will drink the cup. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. But for those who has been prepared by my father. And when the other ten heard it, well, they were indignant. Two brothers, so can you imagine this, all right? The James and John's mom comes up, and hey, come on. And then all the rest of the guys, it's like a big, big family, all right? And they're all jealous of one another. And so they're indignant with, with, the, with the other two brothers. And Jesus called them, and he said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever shall be the greatest among you must be your servant. And whoever be first among you must be your slave. Then Jesus says these words in verse number 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus took this opportunity to really lay out for the apostles something that they needed. And I submit to you today that something that I need and you need as well. That is just to be reminded of the powerful importance that service plays in this kingdom that we call the church. Jesus said, if there, if there was ever anybody in this world that ever walked on this earth, that ever, that ever endured life and lived here, that deserved to be served, would you not agree with me that it would be the creator of the universe? Yeah. The one to whom it all belongs. The one to whom uh, God spoke in Genesis and can talked about considering to make man in, in our image, in their image together. This co-equal with, with God in a sense. And, and here, here Jesus says, you know what? I came here not to be served, but to serve. This lays for us a, a really bold and powerful commission. Because when we look at the Bible, the New Testament, we receive this, this idea that we are called to be like Christ, aren't we? And I know that's a big assignment. And uh, when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, be like Christ. Yeah, I've got that, right? Um, and as I get older, that's hard to do, isn't it? How many of you agree with me? To be like Christ, extremely difficult. Yeah. Oh, my. And, and the thing about it is, is that as you grow older, you begin to learn that less and less of your life looks like Jesus, right? You thought when you were like, you know, 17 years old, like, yeah, I'm pretty close to Jesus right here. When you turn about 37 years old, you're like, I got a ways to go. I think when you turn about 67, you figure out I'm nowhere close, right? Yeah. Because, because we begin to peel back the layers of our, of our arrogance. And we peel back the layers of our personality. And we begin to gain life experience. And we realize that, that sometimes our thoughts and our intentions and our motivations are not quite as noble and well-placed and selfless as we once thought. Jesus said, I've come to this world to serve people. And if you don't believe that, you can just look at the ministry of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. It's Jesus that rises early in the morning so that he can spend time with God and then, and then leave that place and go and preach and teach and heal and care for people all day. It's Jesus that at that moment of time where people have gathered together by the thousands to hear him speak and recognizes that later in the day they're hungry. It's Jesus, not the apostles, but Jesus said, we've got to feed these people. <laughs> the apostles are like, good luck, Jesus, right? It's Jesus that... Right after receiving news of his closest friend in many ways in this world and close relative John the Baptist, receiving the news that John the Baptist has lost his head and been beheaded because of his moral convictions and his willingness to take a stand, it's Jesus that right after that is drug out of the 
hiding place that he wants to go to and spends an entire day helping, loving, and serving people. Maybe in the moment of time where he needed more than anything else to be away from people. And Jesus did that because he came to serve, not to be served. So let me just ask you today, what is, what is your purpose in this world? What, what is my purpose in this world? Because we live in a world today where it's very, very easy to get into a pattern of thinking that, that in fact, the world does, in fact, revolve around us. A while ago, I was in, I was in a local restaurant in Crowley. I'm standing in line, and uh, there's a person in front of me, uh, who I know, uh, he's in town, and he, he, he's, a, he's always constantly evangelizing to people, all right? I, I appreciate that in somebody, anybody who has a passionate enthusiasm for God. I appreciate that. And uh, so I'm standing behind him, and I'm thinking in a second I'm going to strike up a conversation with him. And uh, then the gal at the counter gets his order wrong. Now, has anyone ever had a fast food worker get their order wrong? Has anyone ever had a fast food worker get their order right? <laughs> that's, that's me. If there's any fast food workers now, I love you. All right. Um, but I really do. Um, but it's tough, right? And, and so I don't know what he got wrong, but he got something wrong. And he begins to have this meltdown here at the counter, you know? And I felt like I should go up and put my arm around him and like, hey, buddy, remember who you represent right here, right? <laughs> remember, remember how you were just evangelizing the other day uptown? Because, because in this moment, he felt as though this person was not serving him according to what he thought he deserved. They were not getting his order right. And I wish so much that I could say I never do that. But I know that that would be a lie, and you do too. We all find, find times in our life where our motives are not really in line with where they are, to, are supposed to be. And so this morning, I'll give you guys some little practical stuff on how to improve your service. And number one is check your motives in life. Why is it that you're motivated in the direction that we're motivated? When we look at verses 20 and 21, uh, we recognize that we can get our, our motives mixed up. You just notice that, I mean, you know that James and John put their mom up to this, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that their mom didn't like, you want me to go? <laughs> They're like, hey mom, Jesus really likes you. So if you go ask him if we could be number one and number two, he's not going to tell you no, right? And, and, and she comes because, because she wants her voice to be there as well. But you and I all know today that the motivation for James and John to be in that right and left-hand position wasn't so that they could better serve Jesus. We know that their motivation wasn't so that they could, they could be a little bit, they could, they could further the mission of the kingdom. That's not where James and John's mindset was at that point. They were thinking, we want to be the most important guys on this team. We want to be the team captains. Why do we want to be the team captains? Because we want the, the position that goes with that. And we, we kind of know that because later Jesus is going to, going to say, you know how it works in the Gentile world, how the people that are in authority exercise authority over the people under them? kind of in the world we live in today. Jesus is kind of reflecting back, I think, to an attitude that, that they have. Funny thing is, is that, that if you just skip back to the chapter before, in Matthew 19, in verse number 30, you'll see a, 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 a passage there, because Jesus is, is talking to this rich young man who's come, and, 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 and he's really a great guy. Jesus looks at him and says, he looks at him and he, and he loved him. Because he had so much good in him. And he really wanted to be of service. And Jesus said, one thing you need to do. 
And, and I think that's pretty awesome because I'm pretty sure if Jesus were to look at my life, he'd be like, Jason, do you have a notepad? Let's get busy. All right. But he looks at this guy and he says, there's one thing you need to do. Sell what you have, give it to the poor. Come follow me. But guys, in retrospect, we know that the opportunity to follow Christ, to receive that invitation, is the greatest call that anyone, any human being could have ever received. The opportunity to hear Jesus, the creator of the universe, say, come and follow me. Come and be on my team. There's no amount of money, no amount of possession, no amount of position that would be equivalent to that call. And yet the Bible says that this young man, he walks away sorrowful because he, he has a great amount of wealth. And Jesus uses this as a teaching moment in Matthew 19 and verse 30. He said, but many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. And then Jesus reiterates that again in verse number 16 of chapter 20 when he says, and so the last will be first. And the first will be last. How many of you like to be last? Some of us. Some of us don't like to be last. It is not a natural human tendency to enjoy being last. Alright? Right? Because the second place is what? The first loser. Alright? That's the world we grew up in. That's the way we're programmed. We want to be number one. We want to be first. We want to be respected. We want to be noticed. And Jesus is like, I just want you to know how this works in my kingdom. Because in my kingdom, if you want to be really great, if you want to do amazing things, if you want to be this person that gets my attention, find yourself at the last of one. Find yourself behind the others. Find yourself as being the one who is serving rather than the one who is being, who is being served. You see, when Jesus asked him the question, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Jesus was talking about cross. He was talking about a life of sacrifice. He was talking about persecution. They thought he was talking about a crown. They're like, oh yeah, we can, we can wear a crown with you, Jesus. Woohoo! Right? Jesus is not thinking about a crown of gold, but he's thinking about a crown of thorns. He recognizes that, yes, they'll eat. They will, in fact, drink this cup. Those apostles would be faithful in the mission that they were given. We know the story. They're going to go out throughout the world. And in most cases, in fact, except for the case of John, history of the Bible tells us that almost every one of these guys died a martyr's death for the cause that they believe. And that's just one of those moments that causes me to step back and say, you know, there's something authentic and real about Christianity. People don't die for something that they don't believe in and they know to be true. These guys knew Jesus. They were willing to die for that conviction that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, it's really easy for us to get our motives out of whack. It's really easy for us to, to not build that good habit of service in, but to live in a world where constantly the culture is telling us, you're number one, make sure that this is working for you. But notice what it says in 1 Corinthians fourth chapter, verses 4 and 5. Paul says this, he said, My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore... Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Truth is, guys, some of us are really good at being actors. We can act like we're here for other people. And, and sometimes we can, we can kind of be deceptive in the way that we live our daily lives. But Paul reminds us, he says, guys, at some point, God is going to show up. 
When he does, he's not gonna, he's not gonna grade your play acting. He's gonna grade the motives of your life. And I think Jesus asked James and John's mom a great question. Right after she bends down on her knees and she says, Hey Jesus, can I ask you a favor? He says, What do you want? I want to ask you to ask yourself that question this morning. What is it that you really want right now from your life? There's a lot of ways we could fill in that, that sentence. What is it that you want? What is it that you're doing to achieve this? Who are you serving? Who do you want to impress? Sometimes if you take a look at that list, it's kind of convicting, at least it is for me. Because sometimes maybe what I want, and I step back and I have to ask myself that follow-up question, you guys are already doing that, right? You're like, okay, I know what I want. Is that what God wants? I know what I'm desiring. Is that what God desires? I know what I'm working toward. Would that be what God has me working toward? Are my goals and God's goals on the same page? And that's what really Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand in this moment. Now, I want you to know that in life sometimes we're going we're gonna to expect a little difficulty. You might as well as you serve. Because serving people is not something that's necessarily easy. Jesus asked him, can you drink this cup that I'm about to drink? And he said, but you don't have a clue what you're asking. You have no idea of the difficulty of, of accepting this mission, of moving in this direction, of answering this call. And, and, and Jesus is later in chapter 23 of the book of Matthew, down in verse 39. Jesus is in the garden, and he's wrestling with the consequences of doing exactly what he tells these guys to do. Because Jesus' assignment to serve the world was meant that he would hang on the cross. For Jesus to serve the world, he was going to be scourged. For Jesus to serve the world, he would die and become our sin and face the separation from God. So he pours out his heart in Matthew 23, and he's one of the most one of the most poignant passages of Scripture anywhere in the Bible, in my opinion. Jesus just says this: "My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not my will, but Your will." One of the hardest phrases to say. I bet everyone of you guys know that, that phrase this morning. But one of the hardest phrases to truly live in our life is that last little section. Where Jesus said, but not what I want, but what you want, God. Not what fits for me, God, but what fits for you, God. Not what makes me comfortable, God, but what promotes your plan, Father. Jesus is here. He's sweating blood. I mean, this is a moment of intense amount of stress. Later on in John 18, uh, we come across the great story of Peter, who is uh, wishy-washy. He's like some of our personalities. And one minute he's on fire, the next minute he's cooled off. And this is a moment of, of passion because they've come to arrest Jesus. And, and Peter has taken out the sword. He's whacked off Malchus's ear. You remember that? And, and, and notice what Jesus answers Peter uh, because he just an interesting little passage. He says, Peter, put away your sword. <laughs> Get that put up. We don't need this. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? You realize that between this moment that Jesus is in the garden, and now that the, the, the plot is underway, Jesus recognizes this is the direction that I have to go. Sometimes serving is a difficult 
thing to do. Jesus said, you know what? You shall indeed drink my cup. The cup that Jesus is asking to pass, the cup that Jesus finally embraces and says, this is my cup to live and to serve. This is the same difficulty that apostles, you guys will yourselves endure. The whole of the New Testament church understood that sometimes service was difficult. In fact, in fact, Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 1 and verse 29. He says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ. Let's think about that for just a second. It's been granted to you. This is some kind of a gift, right? On behalf of Christ. So because Christ wanted this, God has said, okay, I'll give this to you. Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer Guys, I like the first half of that. I'm a big fan of, of, of having an opportunity to believe in Christ and to knowing that my sins be washed away in baptism and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That pumps me up like, woo! Right? I like that. But Jesus and Paul said, hey, God has given you this awesome opportunity because not only do you get to believe in Christ, which is great, but you also get to suffer with Christ, which doesn't seem so good for us, does it? We're a culture sometimes and a people I'm as guilty as anyone else that tries to avoid suffering and avoid pain and avoid difficulties. But Jesus is telling us and reiterating to us, and the New Testament does so as well, time and time again, that if we are truly to be the kind of disciples that we're called to be, if we're truly the servants of all people like we're called to be, there are going to be times where it is going to be personally difficult for us to do that. And that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. John reminds us of that in the final book of the Bible, in Revelation, the first chapter, verse number nine. And notice how he introduces himself here. He says, I, John, your brother and companion. Those are all beautiful things, right? Brother, companion. Companion in suffering and the kingdom. And patient endurance that is ours in Jesus Christ. He's on the island of Patmos. He begins to introduce the book of Revelation. John just, just automatically throws that in there. He says, I'm your brother. <laughs> and, and I'm in your companion in suffering. Sometimes today in the modern church, we want to take that part of the, of the equation and pull it away. We want to say, you know what, if you, if you follow Christ, everything's going to fall in place and be absolutely perfect and hunky-dory and, and, and everything, you can have the best of life right now, right here, no problems. <laughs> and I would love to think that too. But that's just not what Jesus said. Yeah. Jesus said, you know what? You're going to follow me. You're going to have this great opportunity. You're going to get to be a part of the kingdom. And the greatest in the kingdom is going to be that person that says, you know what? I'm going to serve everybody. But, but sometimes there's going to be suffering. There's going to be heartache. It's going to be difficult. And that's the way I designed it. That's a part of the plan. God has granted that to every one of us. I know BJ said I was supposed to encourage you guys today, wasn't I? I'm sorry. I'll try. I'll, I'll try to do better. Um, because, uh, because when we live this way, guys, to be honest with you, it radically changes our view of the world. We live in a world today full of people that are just absolutely miserable, don't we? Anybody know some miserable people? Yeah. And we're so self-focused. It's all about me and about myself and about what I want, what I need. And Jesus is actually here saying, this is how you unlock the doors of happiness. Several years ago, I, I, I met a person that, that was in the hospital. She was undergoing chemotherapy treatments. She stopped by the church because she was having some trouble with her van. 
And I asked her, what exactly are you doing with this van? She had this 15-passenger van. She was having some trouble with it, and uh, she was just hoping that someone could help her out. And here's what this lady's doing. She is, she is struggling with, with stage four, I believe, at that point. She's in remission now, praise God. But stage four, breast cancer. All right? And, and I don't know if any of you have ever gone through cancer and known somebody who's done that, but that's just a devastating diagnosis right there. And she said, I, I sat in my room for about four weeks. She had just stared at the wall. She had, didn't have the TV on or nothing. She said, my life was just completely destroyed in that moment. She said, I thought to myself, if this is all life is left, this is not worth living. And so she had to make trips every week from between northern Louisiana and Houston to MD Anderson, which is a fairly famous cancer hospital uh, in our part of the country. She would make these treks. So what she did was she sold her car that she had. She bought a 15-passenger van, and she networked with people and found out anybody in between where she lived and Houston that needed a ride for chemotherapy treatments. And she goes and she picks up all these people. They all go down and have their chemotherapy treatment. Then they hang out there for a few days until they're strong enough. And then she drives everyone back home and drops them all off. And then two weeks later, she comes and picks them back up. And they all went back down for chemotherapy. Now, she's beat cancer, but guess what she's still doing? She's making a run. Because she said, you know what? It unlocked the door for me of happiness in life. Yeah. She was dying of cancer, and she said, I was maybe the happiest I've ever been. She was doing what Jesus told us to do right here. She was serving other people. She had gotten outside of her own bubble and began to look at opportunities to serve the world. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. This is one of the most encouraging and passionate passages in the Bible. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that the labor in the Lord is not Guys, when we, when we pour in other people's lives, when we serve people, even if it's difficult, even if those people take advantage, and they'll do that, they did that to Jesus, right? Jesus is like, you're only here for the miracles and the food. I know why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we have Wednesday night, we feed people at church um, every Wednesday night. We have a great meal. And then on one month of the year, June, we quit cooking. Guess what attendance does on Wednesday nights in June? Yeah, goes way down. <laughs> Half the people there, because you're not... Fixing then, all right? We're humans. We're weak like that. It's just how it works. Jesus said, that's okay. Don't get weary in doing good. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Because you know that when you do something for God, it's never in vain. God takes those efforts and he multiplies them. And sometimes we don't get to see it immediately. Sometimes it takes generations for the influence that those people have, have or that we have given to make a difference in the kingdom. We're going to close with this. Number three, develop the habit putting other people first. It's not just James and John and their mom that's messed up here, right? You read that in verse 24. It says, when the other ten heard this, they were indignant. In other words, they were fired up. I mean, you can just imagine Peter, right? At least I get to see it in my cartoon bubble. Peter's furious right here because, uh, because these two guys are trying to get a leg up on him, and I just see Peter's ambitious, and he's a go-getter, you know? And, and there's probably Thomas back there, so I told you guys you couldn't trust them, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, just, you can just you kind of feel that group. you got 12 guys that just hang out together. There's that competition and that tension right there. The thing was that none of them put, were putting each other first. The only person in that group of 13 that was putting other people first was Jesus. And if you say, well, Jason, you know what? I, I've lived in the church for a long time. I'm not very good at this. May I just say, join the club. These guys were hanging out with the perfect son of God. They had hung out with him 
upwards of three, or oh, nearly three years, maybe a little less, but three years or so at this point, and they still really hadn't caught on that what it was all about was serving other people. <laughs> they saw the perfect example, and they hadn't picked it up. Yes, we're not going to be perfect in this area. But you know what I've noticed? When we see self crop up, when we see self crop up in our marriage, when we see self crop up at work, we see selfishness begin to work in a church body, in a family. There's always trouble that follows, isn't there? There's always dissension that kind of that kind of follows that. Because when we think of ourselves, community breaks down. Unity is replaced with division and with big backbiting and the negative kind of competition. There's good competition that pushes everyone forward. Then there's that kind of competition that kind of drags everyone down. And, and, and sometimes that can, that can happen. There's a sharp contrast between a certain philosophy of Jesus and this, the world's system of hierarchy in which they live, in which we live. Jesus points that out. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord over them. They get one leg up and they try to step on everyone underneath them. Some of us maybe today work in a job where it's just like that. Or we have a family environment that's somewhat like that. All right? Jesus is like, I just want you to know it's not supposed to be like that with you. You're never going to change the world out there. There's always going to be somebody that tries to get power and tries to push down and use the people beneath them. But that means doesn't mean that we have to do it. He says, it's not so with you in verse 26. In the family of God, Jesus said, there's only one category of people, and that's servants. There's not, sometimes in, in American church, we have these brands that we put on people, a pastor, or a minister, or an elder, or a deacon, and those are offices within the church, right? Those are things that people do, preachers, teachers, but it doesn't mean that the man who preaches is greater than the man who serves by cleaning up after service. We're all servants in the kingdom. In fact, as we close this morning, I just challenge you to follow Christ. Because if you want an ultimate example of a servant, maybe just fast forward just a few hours from this moment that he's having this discussion with, 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 with the mother of James and John and with the other ten apostles as they're back, as they're bickering and fighting about why were we number one and number two? We should we are better off than those guys, all this foolishness. And Jesus quiets this and says, No, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven will be the servant of all. And if you just want to see how this works, just skip ahead to the Passover meal that they're about to celebrate together. They're all in an upper room. The meal has been prepared. The inner circle looked like they kind of went ahead, made preparations for that. When time came, guess what? Everyone shows up to dinner, right? Some of you moms know our dads maybe through the cook at your house. You know how this is. Right? You, you slave all afternoon over a great meal. Everyone shows up to dinner. They sit down and grab their fork. They grab their napkin and they're ready, right? And that's where these, these apostles are. They are in a ready position. They are ready to eat. The only thing is, is that the most basic of, of Hebrew customs had not been observed. Now these people are walking barefoot on roads with horses and cows and sewage buckets and everything else. And they're not just sitting down at the table with their feet on the floor where they go, I mind you, right? But they've got their feet all propped up, they're reclining at the table, so that this guy's got stinky feet next to him, got stinky feet next to him, so on and so forth. And what was supposed to happen was there was supposed to be a servant at the door that was going to wash those feet, right? 
And even after this great sermon by, by Jesus himself about the greatest should be the least and should be the servant of all, the bowl of water sat there. The towel laid there. Not a guy grabbed it. One of the most humbling stories to me in all of the New Testament is that moment of time where you could say Jesus had a lot more important stuff on his mind. Steps away from the table. Takes off his outer clothing. Rose grabs a towel fastens it around his waist. Gets a bowl of water. And starts washing feet. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not particularly fond of feet. Alright? I, 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 I love my feet. Don't take your own. Right? But I don't like your feet near as much as mine. Um, it's just kind of a nasty job. I don't care what culture you're in. I don't care what you've walked in. To wash feet is just kind of gross. It's kind of demeaning. It's kind of belittling. And yet, the one who was there at the beginning of it all finds it within himself to be the one to wash feet. And he's called you and I to follow him. To be the one that picks up the job that no one else wants to do. Maybe it's in our homes, maybe it's within the church, wherever it might be. To be that person that, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, does nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider yourselves or others better than yourselves. Each one of us should not look to our own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made a human like this. Paul got it. And I hope all of you guys, hope that I get it. I hope that we all together can get it. One of the greatest things that we can be in the church, in our homes, at the job, is a servant. Because when we serve, Guys have been awesome. Thank you guys so much for your great attention. I don't know what I do here, BJ. Do, do I just I turn that over to Gary? So I'll